Hello and welcome to another episode of Stories from the CRISPR Drawer. This episode is called Saturday Caesar Salads. And we got a little bit to talk about today. Again, it's just me. It's going to be a short episode. Pre-E3, so I'm recording this on June 9th. So EA's E3 conference is done, but I'm only going to talk about one little thing. I haven't seen it yet. I've been busy all day. So I'm going to talk about what happened last week and the week before and try to catch up to... Getting to back to almost a weekly. That's my goal. And I'm sort of getting there. All right, first things first. And I got to go um, with my brother and his wife to see Akira. The 30th anniversary run of it in Japanese with English subtitles at the Globe Cinema here in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Which, first time I've seen that movie. It's an intense movie. Really like it. I can see why it's such a... Um, inspirational and such an inspirational movie to a lot of animation that's followed after that it's just crazy and looking at what they were able to do and animate back then is pretty crazy when you think about it what they were able to do (laughs) so yeah i really like the movie i'm not 100 sure i got every answer out of the movie that of all the questions i probably had but it was a great movie in tv tropes I've read the Wikipedia and the TV Tropes page on some of it. Not all of it in Akira, but some, but all of Wikipedia's summary. So it was like, even though I read that a while ago, it was still like, what? Although from the interpretation that I read from uh, Wikipedia, it made me think it was going to be gorier and more bloody than it actually was. I mean, the few scenes that were, it wasn't that crazy i guess it's just because of shows that have followed since are much more vicious in a way i mean cowboy bebop is in bloodiness similar but not the same type um definitely no gore but you can see where it's coming from and there's definitely been other animated shows post then that are much more um intense on the craziness that I've been able to see. Uh, another thing that's happened today, Justify has won the Triple Crown at the Belmont Stakes. So it won the Belmont Stakes, therefore winning the, the Triple Crown. It's also the second undefeated Triple Crown uh, runner. Um, there was one other horse. Jeez, uh, I wish I remember the name, but it's it was a long time ago when they had it. It was pre-secretary at the last, um, the, only triple cr- the only other Triple Crown winner, uh, that hasn't lost one of its races. So uh, Justify won its five races prior to the Triple Crown, I believe. And then, yeah, let's see. Uh, And it it was an amazing run for um, trainer Bob Baffert, who uh, this is his second Triple Crown. He he did it uh, a few years ago with American Pharaoh, which was in 2015. So that's three years ago. That was a crazy run. And then we had, and then we've got Justify. And he's also the last, uh, since Secretariat was the um, one to win from the number one rail position. Which, if you think about it, actually has the least amount of distance to run. So it was probably good for Justify. Uh, also, the, uh, oh yeah, it was Seattle Slough was the last one who was undefeated. And it's the only horse that was undefeated in the 6-0 and run. So Justify, who is also six in a row. Uh, row. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it, it, it is amazing. Um, what was the, uh, you know, did, is it? I, mean, I guess it technically is four years. But it, it is amazing. There was, in 2015, we had, you know, which I got to watch at my parents' house. I was sitting at home. Uh, with Jeff, who was the one of the guests earlier on the podcast, accountant Jeff, and we watched the Triple Crown, and that was amazing. We couldn't believe it; it was a win. We just couldn't believe it that we would see a Triple Crown in our lifetime. And the only reason we know a bit about horse racing was because we watched the Tobey Maguire movie um, Sea Biscuit, which was amazing. Haven't seen the movie about Secretariat; knew a little bit about it, and the, you know. It, it's just crazy. Also, um, the uh, jockey who's in, uh, 
uh, the jockey Mike Smith being 52 years old and now winning a triple crown. I mean, he, he's capped off his career. So he can retire happily. Then we also get to go to the Ontario election that happened on June 7th. And boy, was that a turnout. Going into the election, Canadians who paid attention knew that it was likely that it was quite likely it was like an 85% chance that the conservatives would win. And then when you added up like the chance that the much smaller percent chance that they were just going to get the major the minority, it was unbelievable. And then it turns out that we have uh, the conservatives won 76 seats. The NDP won, uh, won 40 seats. And the Liberals lost 48 seats. They went from 55, which was a minority party, uh, which means they were probably side with the NDP and a couple of the uh, independents. But they lost, and the Conservatives won 49 seats, going from 27 then pr- prior to the election at dissolution of the uh, of the. Uh, Legislative Assembly for the province. I think I don't know if they call it the leg- the Legislative Assembly in uh, Ontario. I know we call that here in Cal in uh, Alberta, but still, like quite a quite a victory for the uh, Conservatives. Uh, the Liberals got wiped out. I and and we have a Green Party that won. Fortunately, three independents were lost. Now I don't know if those independents were party members of other groups that had to leave because of controversy or not, but still, like. Oh, man. And Doug Ford being um, Rob Ford's brother, who's famous from the Toronto days of drugs and alcohol and being both a crazy mayor of Toronto that kind of helped clean this, clean up um, some of the politics around it. Not politics as in campaign and craziness, but more like, tried to make the city more efficient on the money it was dealing with. It's no surprise this brother conservative had this chance. Although people... I'm kind of like, is he the right guy to lead the Conservative Party in Ontario? Well, it it seemed to work, <laughs> although I can't fully dismiss that maybe it was because, well, people were tired of Kathleen and her her uh, Liberal Party that just jacked up energy rates to the point where people were hating it. And when you take away people's power and make them choose between power and food and then jack up taxes on everything else, too, kind of really makes it compelling not to be in power anymore. Shows that he kind of lost a lot of thing. A lot of it. And that's that's just what happened. And I don't know if I spoke on this on my last podcast episode, uh, Kale and Milkshakes, but Canada now owns a pipeline. The Canadian government nationalized at $4.5 billion an old Kinder Morgan pipeline with the hopes that that would mean that Kinder Morgan's new pipeline would go through. The problem with buying a pipeline and thinking it's going to help the energy sector is, is that the Canadian government, which means the Canadian citizens are now taxpayers specifically, are now on the hook for if anything goes wrong with this pipeline, we're repairing it. And I mean, we might be able to get energy royalties by moving the oil through it, but that's not our oil. That's privately owned oil that will then pay the rights to go through it. But if there's a competing pipeline that's going to be cheaper, they're going to probably want to move crude they can make more money on through the other pipeline. And maybe that other pipeline is a newer pipeline. But government taking over a part of the energy sector, specifically buying this pipeline, doesn't really help the confidence of other companies investing in it, thinking that we're going to build this pipeline, we're going to take over, and then all of a sudden it's like, well, we get bought out. All right, fine, you guys take responsibility for any spills that happen to it. And I'm not happy about that. I just don't think the government should be involved in this. And I don't know if the... uh, Like, there seems to be information that we bought the 65-year-old pipeline, but I thought we were buying the the idea of the new pipeline they were supposed to be building, that they didn't have confidence because the B.C. government and the Alberta government are fighting in court, and it's supposed to allow access to the... East Co- to the uh, West Coast, allowing us to sell oil to Asia and other overseas properties and allowing easier markets. But the 
federal government's kind of just sat by the wayside until this happened, and Kinder Morgan's like, well, we're not going to spend the $4.5 billion if nobody's going to help us do this. If we're going to be on the, like, if we're going to have a two provinces duking it out in the Supreme Court, not knowing how this is going to end, not in the Supreme Court, but in the court of law, not knowing who's going to win, even though logically Alberta should win under the grounds of, like, BC can't block a federal project just by throwing frivolous lawsuits at it, which has no basis. Now, if you're an environmentalist, you think there's a basis. We're not getting rid of oil anytime soon. And people who think we are, are naive. They can say we're going to go to the electric cars. Like, well, we still need oil for the tires because that tar makes helps make the rubber for tires. We still need oil to, to maintain the bearing surfaces and the wear surfaces in those electric motors. Eventually, there's going to be issues where those motors not being oiled will fail or will have higher friction. And we can try to remove oiling points and reduce the amount of oil we need, but we're still going to need it. And we still need oil to help in the production of metals and other composites. It's just there. The whole thing is we're going to get we're going to reduce the necessariness of steel as well. We're going to move to aluminum cars. We're going to move to move to more composite based cars. It's like okay, well carbon fiber uses a good amount of energy to be created. Maybe you can move some of that into solar power. Okay, fine. But there are composites in your vehicle, plastics and composites that require oil because they're based on oil. They are synthetic. Not really going to go a lot of places if uh, we don't have oil. I'm sorry. And I'm the guy who wants to have nuclear power as the predominant energy source on the planet because it works. Pound for pound, it's the most powerful energy source, and also it produces the least amount of waste. People who tell you that solar and wind and hydro are the best way to do it, it's like, so hydro, we've had issues with the dams, uh, turbines, lubrication system. Older ones use some sort, sometimes use mercury, and even today they still use oil. If those have leaks, that's in the water system now. Great, now you have to clean that up. Maybe you kill fish downstream, which either an indigenous population, such as Canada, such as the uh, First Nations in Canada and groups that are First Nations, Indians and you know Native American uh, groups like that, are going to suffer from that. And also fish and wildlife and natural habitats. Well, great. Now your dams have screwed things up. Plus, flooding areas also damages habitats on the other side of the dam prior to any toxic waste possible, toxic materials potentially entering from the dam's turbine system. And then you deal with, oh, we can put stuff on the titles. It's like, now you have to build structures up there that you have to maintain clean because if they get covered up in coral, they're going to start to fail. Also, you have to lay lines there. That's going to be expensive because you're going to have to dredge stuff up. You can't just put them on and then have the little towers on the surface because boats could run into them. So they have to be dredged underground, which is damaging environments as well. Good job, good job. No matter what you're going to do, you're going to damage the environment. Solar panels. It's one of the most... like. It, it was building solar panels is a toxic operation. Just w- watch some of the videos from the factories that the guys are wearing. Like, they're wearing these extreme hazmat stuff. Not as bad as Class 7 biological and cla- I think it's Class 7, maybe it's Class 6 biological and chemical agents that are just super toxic. But still, it, it, it's bad. Uh, don't take my word on the class number because I honestly don't know. But I know the higher the number, the more dangerous it is. Maybe it's maybe it's class four or class five is the worst. I I can't remember, uh, and I'm going off of and the only way I know those numbers is either I've seen them once or twice in a fiction in fiction or in video games and magazines that were had some degree of fictitious uh, nature about them and parodies and comedies and stuff like that. So I'm not going after the actual science and I'm not claiming I am on that, but I do know that solar panels using the rare earth metals that are required to make solar panels and the acid sprays that are done on the materials to uh, make them combine together the right way is quite a uh, quite an amazing process and it's quite a toxic process. So solar panels aren't as good and they get about 10-year t- lifespan. So if you're not in a place where a solar panel is going to pay for itself in less than 10 years, you're actually just 
paying for recovery and costs. Now, the hope that the technology is going to get better over those 10 years, and we do have evidence that it's working, but the prices aren't dropping as quickly as the new technology. So you're getting a solar panel that's being more efficient, but the cost is equivalent over those 10 years. So it's like, okay, I've gotten a more efficient device, but it's going to cost me the same based on inflation for this device. I'm getting a little bit better, but all but every piece of technology is technically getting better. Our computers are getting better. Our appliances are getting better. Our lights are getting better. Um, our electronics are getting better. Our houses are getting better. Uh, insulation, our technology, and our circuit boards, and all this stuff, everything is improving. And yet, some of the stuff is not dropping down in price. Now, granted, it may be that mass production of solar panels is expensive and hard to do right now, and there's just not the demand, so it's not happening, and maybe the idea of the solar roof like Elon Musk has proposed and some other companies prior to him have, have tried, maybe they're too early at something, or maybe they didn't do the right way, or maybe we, that's one of the things you need Elon Musk for is he is such a great marketeer of ideas and this technology that maybe finally somebody takes the risk and maybe a few others join the market and there's enough technology development that makes these things, these solar tiles, uh, come down in cost, making them competitive and worthy. Which would be great. It would be nice. I mean, it depends. Also, you're going to do a lot better in a solar-tiled roof in Arizona than you are in Ontario and Montreal just because of weather patterns and climate. You're gonna, you need the more sun your days, the more you're likely to get a payoff. Grand, you also need battery storage, which is something we're still working on. We're making improvements. Uh, again, the idea of the power banks and large power battery supply stations around. But the issue with a communal supply station is one of if you have the leech and the, pro, the, you know, the tragedy of the commons where one person isn't putting in energy and he's just draining out or he's a high user. That's what governments have been trying to deal with. The utility companies is trying to find out who the bad user is and overcharge them and maybe penalize them. That's a hard thing to do when it becomes a communal thing, when it's a company directing. So it's a utility company who's maintaining it all, and we're all buying the rights to access that, and then we're being charged for the access, like how NMAX does it and how various other companies do it. You start noticing that when you're a bad user, you're punished by paying more. And plus with carbon taxes in Alberta and Canada and all that other stuff, you, you start paying a lot more. You have a higher chance. Plus, you find out that there's also GST on that, which is 5% for any American listeners or any global listeners. We pay 5% for a general service tax. Luckily, here in Alberta, we do not have a provincial sales slash service tax. So we do not pay the province a percentage of our of our uh, purchasing power, which is good. Although I would argue that a tax on uh, purchases is much better at evenly uh, distributing, uh, at getting a grab from more people equally than it is just taxing income and property. Really add uh, arbitrary rates that are created to, by the local governments to basically dep depend on their... Uh, their budgets. So if you live in a municipality where your property value goes down, but your tax rate on that property goes up because the government adjusts the mill rate to make sure they're making more money, you're losing value. And I guess you could question that are you gaining that value back in the government services if you're definitely paying more. It makes more sense from a personal savings standpoint for the government only to take at the point of you're purchasing a product or a service as a small percentage of that transaction. Now, that doesn't absolutely help the sector, but if you're not being taxed your income, if you're not being taxed the property you own, you're not being taxed a license for, uh, you know, you're not being taxed uh, for driving on the road, you're not being taxed for air travel, stuff like that. Like, if you're not being taxed, just generally every year you have to pay a tax or you own a car. And you have to pay a fee, uh, a specific fee every single year, such as a registration fee, that you have the right to use that car. Now, I, I think that registration fees are, 
I don't know. I guess the car and the insurance and the registration thing is the stuff I haven't really thought that well. So I'm not going to make a firm point. I do think that cars are cars and road safety is better handled by insurance companies that actually have a reason to save money versus losing money because their goal is to make a profit. And therefore, they would want people to register their vehicles with them to know that they're safe. They want them to pass uh, driving schools to prove that they are safe drivers. They would want them to put in dash cams to record their driving habits. They would want to put in a system that they would be able to detect where people are driving at the time of day they're driving and the uh, habits of driving and also be able to figure out which one of the people are driving that way at that time. And there are ways to do that. Now, I understand the privacy violation thing, but this is a private company you're doing, and the better and the more you go to them, you might be saving more money overall. You might be exposing yourself that you're actually a terrible driver and you get more costs. As long as the government's not doing it, and the private company that's doing it is not releasing that information without your permission. You are signing over that you, that information is given to them so that they are able to address your, uh, adjust your uh, insurance rate. They can, And if it says that explicitly, and it says that they can not sell that information, they cannot use that information in any other way besides from providing insurance for you, you then you get, it's like, okay, sure. If they find out that later they're selling that information to, you know, car manufacturers is one thing, but let's say to advertising firms and stuff, and you start getting stuff in your email that's like, it's like, uh, you know, driving habits, bad. Sign up for points or something like that, or buy, buy points when they find out you have a traffic ticket. It's like, you're, then you'd be like, okay, there's some collusion going on here, and this is not right, and I did not sign up for this, and you better stop talking to people about that. That's where I think that the, the line gets drawn, and that goes to the digital sphere of uh, privacy rights and the digital sphere over the Internet and stuff like that. Now, that's a fight that needs to be fought. Um, these big companies, we, we expect so much from them in the terms that they, uh, they provide an amazing service to us, like YouTube, Facebook, all these things, uh, even Google, and, you know, I wouldn't say Amazon, because there is a subscription service on Amazon that gives you a better, a slightly better service, such as free two-day shipping and stuff like that for Amazon Prime, but you get a lot of these free websites, um, YouTube, Google, Facebook, um, I Instagram, Imager, Snapchat, um, Twitter, and a lot of them are social media, you'll notice. Um, forms are also free, and some of them are not, some of them are. But you'll notice that a lot of the social media and the specifically websites about user-created content is free. And a lot of it's ad-based, and then you start finding targeted ads at you. And I'm, I'm going to even include uh, places like Yahoo, Bing, uh, and emails, free email providers. They have to make money somehow. So they're probably scanning your email in some ways, uh, shape, or form. We know Google is doing it to an extent, and they're trying to give you targeted ad emails based on what you've searched for. Same with, um, no, Amazon does that, but the difference is, is that you pay for Amazon, and you, you pay for that service if you're a Prime member. You want to get the deals. You want to see that stuff. And it will be like, hey, we noticed you looked at something like this. Maybe this is an alternative that's a better price for you, or maybe you want it more. Or maybe it's because we're the ones selling it, or we're the ones fulfilling it, so we have the higher uh, percentage of, of sales claims, stuff like that, and stuff. It's an interesting prospect. And going into that in the digital rights, you go into, um, there was an article on Vice's motherboard, uh, either yesterday or today. I read it today, and it might have been up uh, prior to that. And when I'm saying today, I'm saying June 9th, 2018, where they were talking about how they were doing a study of in the UK and a few other European countries about piracy, and they were finding out that a lot of the pirates in the UK, people who were downloading content, uh, digital content illegally, um, that they were actually, um, a considerable amount of them were actually the largest purchasers of legitimate um, legal content. They were more likely to spend money than people who weren't pirate, pirate, committing piracy, downloading illegal content. And in fact, they were more often to do it. They were paying more, and they were more often to pay for it. And then you start finding out, well, the reason why they're doing it is because they can't get the stuff legitimately, or the legal way is so onerous that they just don't want to do it. It's not convenient. 
So they do it the illegal way. Then once the, uh, the object they want becomes convenient, or at least convenient enough or easy enough to access, they buy it more often than not. Now, are, are there pirates who just do it piracy because they don't want to pay and they're cheap? Probably. There, well, there definitely is. There's a group of those people. I mean, at one point, I wanted to download Adobe Creative Cloud, a piracy version, because I want to use it for free. But then I thought, no, I want this product to keep going. And I think that's the thing, is a lot of pirates who download it, they want the artists that they're listening to, they want the director, they want the movie studio, they want the TV studio, they want the video game company that they're downloading. They want these things to get, to improve and continue. They want to keep what, they, what they're pirating. They want to keep that service or that product continuing. They don't want to lose something. And they know that, that them pirating it is not giving money to the creators so when it becomes available for them to buy it they probably buy it because they want to keep that source of entertainment going that's why you see subscription services such as netflix prime video and stuff and um, various other ones in the u.s and canada and around the world growing and more people are buying into them because they want the content. And I have no doubt we're going to see people sign up for Disney and Fox when they merge their subscription service. Because people want that stuff. And if they can't get it legitimately, if they can't get it legally, it's a product not available on the market. So piracy, and, and this is why I think uh, some of the piracy laws need to be rewritten. Because they were written in the mind of the large content provider, the large studios, these large media corporations that have billions invested in their industry. And they were, they're, they're, you know, Warner, Universal, Sony, um, Disney, like they are huge conglomerates and they don't want their position at the th top threatened. But because they're so big, they're also very slow at adapting to the marketplace and the environment. And the marketplace, let's remember when Napster came out, and this is dating me, this was very early 2000s when, and uh, late 1990s, early 2000s, when Napster came out, they freaked out about the idea of people sharing songs for free. What they didn't think is, is that if somebody burns a CD and puts it on there and somebody downloads a track and they like that track from that CD, they might go out and buy that CD. Or if you give them a digital version, which Apple and iTunes was quite brilliant at doing, they said, hey, we can give you the CD digitally. You don't have to go to the store. You don't have to drive somewhere. You don't have to wait in the mail. You can go onto the website, onto iTunes, download iTunes, go to the iTunes store, and download today. In fact, you can sample some of it. And then YouTube came out, and brilliantly enough, with YouTube and iTunes, you could listen to the song on YouTube, decide if you liked it, listen to it a few times, decide if you like it, and then you buy it. And then the record companies got mad because they weren't getting as much money off the YouTube advertising, so they started pulling stuff down. Yeah. Your best, best marketing system that exists completely for free, you want to get paid for it. And that hurt. And then they also hated the idea of the streaming, which we see from uh, Spotify, Apple Music, Google, Pl Google Play Music, stuff like this. The streaming scene has obviously worked. The problem, and at least for some, for some it hasn't. Let's face it the uh, the whole title system, apparent uh, the title streaming service hasn't worked out as well as it's supposed to be. And there were streaming services prior to Spotify that haven't held on because they uh, they couldn't keep the licensing agreements. They weren't willing to pay for the big licensing stuff, and that's also maybe some artists have suffered from that because they decided they were worth too much for the streaming services. So instead of taking some of the money, they want all the money, and that goes to video game studios. Interesting enough, that's going to lead me into some small E3 news. Now, again, I said I haven't watched the EA one yet, which is what happened today, and I think EA should stop being the lead guy, especially after the last year that EA's been through. With Battlefront 2, Anthem, uh, Mass Effect Andromeda, which is a year, older than a year. Um, uh, EA hasn't really won a lot of friends recently. 
specifically with the Battlefront 2 and the loot uh, box system and how crazy that went and how they freaked out and said this is the way because we can't sell cosmetic and then they pull that back and they start selling cosmetic DLC and then they sounds like they're abandoning it and maybe they're not maybe they are who knows I haven't kept up on that because I don't play Battlefront the last big EA game I've played uh dedicatedly that was an online game was Battlefield 4. And I don't know if I'm going to play Battlefield 5. I didn't play Battlefield 1. I I kind of feel a little sad I didn't play Battlefield 1. But I didn't. I, it just didn't jump on. It didn't grab me. And it's, Maybe it's just because I want to, if I'm going to play a World War 1, World War 2 game, I want to play a, a story. And let's put it this way. I haven't played Call of Duty either. Mostly because I'm just tired of Activision and how they've farmed Call of Duty to the point where both Call of Duty Black Ops 4 coming out and Battlefield 5 both have Battle Royale modes. In fact, battle the Battle Royale mode is one of the big modes on Call of Duty Black Ops 4. It's a game of follow the leader. Now these t- now the fact that Battlefield Call of Duty and Battlefield aren't the leaders of these categories anymore. They now have to follow the new leader, which is PUBG and Fortnite. And another two games I'm not super interested in. Specifically the Fortnite Battle Royale mode. I want to play Fortnite, the regular mode. the f- Building the fort with three of your buddies and holding out on this monster-slash-alien invasion in the cartoony world. That actually is interesting to me. Because I like the original Left 4 Dead. I like co-op games where you can get a group of guys together or online or a group of friends. A dedicated group of friends to play a game is insanely fun. Uh, now, going on, uh, EA, at least from what I've read, apologized for this and said they're going to work better. Well, you know, we've heard that before. Not just from EA, but from other guys. So, skeptical, uh, skeptical thoughts coming up here. But then, I saw something that's just like, uh, yeah, it's just like, it makes me angry, but not angry enough to do anything about it. It's it just, really, you had to do that. You had to do that. You couldn't. You, this property's been sort of dead, and you couldn't make a real answer for the fans who liked it, so you're just going to do this one. It's like, yeah. Uh. Also, it looks like you didn't really put a uh, time period where this is supposed to be based in, so you don't know. Like, I'll say it. Command & Conquer Rivals. Which is a mobile strategy game. And by mobile, I mean you have a base on one side of the screen, a base on the other side of the screen, your opponent's base. You have a nuclear missile cell in the middle. You have nine launch pads, which you capture with units. Now, those launch pads are actually three giant launch pads, but they each have three spaces, so you need to have the majority to make sure that goes... And as you have the majority, it then prepares that nuke to launch, and then it fires at your enemy. Now, the percentage is static, so when you bring that percentage, uh, how I mean is, that percentage is constant between who's controlling it. So if, if um, a GDI team has the control of launch pads and gets lo- lost it, and they were at 68 or 69 or 70 percent of the missile ready, Nod gets that at 70 percent. Just how it is. It just consistently goes up. It doesn't drop down. So, it, it's weird. So we see that we have um, gen- the character of General Solomon, which is from Command and Conquer, Tiberian Sun. Okay, he's the commander of the GDI. He's the head leader of the GDI. Okay, okay. We have two other commanders from uh, the GDI group that I, I I couldn't remember. I should look it up. Actually, this will be interesting. And then we've got th- three commanders from the Nod side. Note that you can only take two infantry, two vehicles, attack, and attack in a special unit with you, and you select it from a tech tree that you have to unlock prior to the game battle. Now, they do have some of the iconic units in the game, but it's like... <sighs> you had the great... You had Command & Conquer, which is one of my... F- it is the strategy game I grew up on. I was less of a StarCraft fan than I was a Command & Conquer fan. But it's like, uh, yeah, you got the mammoth tank in there. Yeah, you got GDI. You got the obelisk of light from Nod. You got Kane. 
that's just that's all you could do with it that's all you had command and conquer 4 which was a basically a battle arena designed for eight commanders to go at each other with minimal base building because whoever you put in charge of that that director uh which I, to this day, refuse to believe he actually had played Command & Conquer. Or maybe he did, but he seemed to not know how to make a good Command & Conquer game. But it's just like, oh. This is, it, it's just not. I hope that this is maybe a sign that they're revigorating the brand. And that this this mobile one. It's just a, a, a you know, it, 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 it's a sign of things to come. That we're actually going to get a better game. I'm hoping. I'm honestly hoping that there's a that there's a follow up to this. It's just oh, slightly annoying. Yeah, uh, Ti- Command Conquer Four Tiberian Tw- Twilight, which just seemed like. It just wasn't there. Um, anyway, we've come out Conquer Rivals, which is the next one coming out for Android and iOS. I mean, at least it's a, it's the newly formed EA Redwood Studios, which maybe they maybe they finally have decided. Hey, maybe strategy games are good again. These niche games seem to make money. They don't make all the money, but they seem to make money. Now, I'm saying this with a big caveat. This is EA we're talking about here. Now, EA isn't the worst game studio in the world, but they're not. They're nowhere near the best in these. Giant AAA publishers, as much as they help games... Like, in the old days, they helped games get the money, and they paid for the development of the game, and they made sure it got released into all the channels. And they're less important today, unless you go look at Star Citizen... And Squadron 42, and you're like, you guys have too much money. System uh, uh, system creep has happened here. You're making a game too big. Speaking of which, you said you have to pay $1,000 into Star Citizen to see their $27,000 uh, almost every ship pack to buy. That's crazy. That is absolutely uh, crazy. I can't. I just I can't believe that game is the way it is. Um, I backed that game, and I haven't paid attention since it. I have a like a I backed it to two hundred dollars. I got a vice admiral card sitting somewhere, which is a nice metal card. I wish I um. I I I really 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 wished. Uh, Wished I had that card somewhere. I, I, it's around somewhere. It's somewhere in my parents' room or at this place. But you just, it wasn't that. Um, it, it just wasn't the greatest. Um, you know, I want to finish game. I want to finish Space Sim game. And Rebel Galaxy s- scratched that itch for me. And Elite Dangerous probably will. And then we've got Ace Combat 7, which we still don't have a timeout, but that's going to scratch the VR aspect of this. Star Citizen is going to be, if it's not released soon, like in a worthy game in maybe two years, I'm not even going to touch it until it's done. I do have the right to download an alpha. I just, like, no, don't, don't, don't want it. Don't want it until it's done. There are very few games in early access that are worth the trials. Um, the two that I've had the most fun in were Terraria. Um, Starbound was also pretty good, but I've, it's basically a Terraria clone except for space. And me and f- my friends have only gone so far in that. We only travel like three or four worlds. So we didn't really get that far. I have a Starbound like campaign save that's on the first world. I haven't played much since then. Terraria did pretty good. But Minecraft was the biggest one. And that's because Minecraft had 
at least I haven't played it in about a year, but when Minecraft came out, when I first got involved in it, it was such a unique game for its time that it it just was, uh, how do I describe it? They already had cemented the foundation they needed, and they knew they weren't going to change that. So the idea of going out, surviving, building a f- house and eventually a castle and a fortress to, to live, it, w- it was worth it. It was fun. It was a creative game that also had challenges. And they added more and more. They said, ah, some people want uh, game pro. Game Pro, uh, well, not Game, um, they want they want creative gameplay so they don't have to worry about monsters destroying their stuff. And then you have the other guys who are the survivalists who want to also do a story mode. And, and they made then they made a story mode to it. And then they've added some more stuff in and they keep adding stuff in. And then they got bought up by Microsoft and they keep adding stuff in. They keep adding stuff in. And this is a game that's done. Like, it's a finished product, but you're buying and they keep adding it in. Which is probably the best way to make a game is that it keeps improving it and the way they're improving is they're improving quality but then they're also having stuff that's like hey you want this this is a property we own we can buy you can download a pack for free and build your own thing and does this or you can buy our version that's a fully licensed one looks really damn good and you can get that it's like that's cool and then minecraft facebook page is mostly about showing off like these amazing worlds that people are building in creative and survival mode no, I don't. I, I haven't talked about the Minecraft. Um, cr- um, what's it called? Uh, what was the one thing uh, Minecraft had? Uh, you know, the the Minecraft convention uh, or Minecon. Boy, was that uh, at least when I've heard like that was a that's a weird convention to go to. But. At the same time, uh, it's uh, it is what it is. Yeah. Um, speaking of which, yeah, it was uh, Samuel Bass who I remember watching in like the pre two pre um, Command and Conquer four um, footage was he's like, ah, it's great, it's great. It's like Command and Conquer was always a base building game. At least for me, and for a lot of people, it was like, we can build bases. There's a competitive scene that's definitely got a very set style that does pretty well. And there are some people who really love doing that. And there are some people who just like building a base and hiding. And there are some people who like building a massive, building a base and building like tons of factories to build tanks and just steamroll your opponent. And there are other people who want to hunker down and build the super weapons. And there are other, like, Kamakaka had many strategies. And then Command and Conquer 4 was you get a mobile MCV and you respawn. It's like, what? Do things have different build times? Nope. I know, every, uh, sort of. But you have to unlock it. So it's an unlockable tech tier, uh, tech tree that you have to get experience to unlock it. So I don't build anything but units. That's correct. And you get three different MCVs. Yeah, and you can only have one stall at the time, okay? So you give me a ton of units, yeah, yeah. But I can only do one. So I got either an attack, a defense, or a support. Yeah. And I have to level up my base. Yeah. So you took the idea of the leveling up, which was in Command and Conquer Generals and, and Zero Hour, which was actually great, because it started everybody at an equal playing field at the start of the game, because everybody was level one. Was a one star, and then you got to the five star if you were pretty good, or later came stuff and got all those unlocks. Now it's the better you play, the better you have a spawning thing. Okay, you spawn, and it's like you're able to only build the medium tank, uh, the like the per- the advanced predator tank in that game, and your opponent quickly can spawn mastodons. Yeah. Now, I know that they try to balance it out. It's like, uh. And the idea was everyone was supposed to start competing at the same time, but of course some people have more time to play and the progression cycle. It's not fair to do that. 
And that's one of the main reasons I think Command & Conquer 4 suffered so badly. Compared to the other Command & Conquer games, I think the whole thing was the idea of base progression and picking out which tech buildings you're going to build and which upgrades you're going to do. It's like, you can get the base unit pretty quickly if you know how to build fast, but maybe some upgrades are going to change it. Like, you can get a map tank out there, but you may not get the railgun upgrade. You may have decided to go for the strato jets on your uh, Firehawk bombers to make them appear at the enemy base and launch and blow up their uh, missile silo instantly. It's stuff like that, that that made Command & Conquer interesting was how people had different pathways to make great assaults from their base and build secondary bases and ter- tertiary bases and little resource-gathering bases and crawl across the map sometimes building one or two buildings at a time to expand their space and then put a factory at the end. And there were other guys who figured out different ways. Like, there were a lot of play styles in that. Granted, for some for one-on-one maps, there were some legitimately only, like, the legitimately amazing playstyles. I remember that from Command Conquer 3 when um, EA broadcasted a lot of those games. You could download the replays. You could watch it. It was a big thing. And the, the community managers back then from Command Conquer 3 through Red Alert 3, those guys were crazy because they, they legitimately wanted an amazing community and amazing fans and they also support the mod scenes well when Command & Conquer 4 comes out it's like hey remember everything we liked we've really locked this game down it's like, why why don't you release a mod SDK for that well it's cause uh, units or stuff like this and it's like oh no don't give us a bad reason like that's the main reason Command & Conquer's held on so long it's because of the mod scene and the nostalgia for it Open RA exists because people want to play Red Alert, Command and Conquer the original, and I think they do. They I think they've got Tiberian Sun rights too from uh, EA, and then you've got the Renegade X on Unreal, which is a free to play thing. I and uh, I don't know if they have a campaign. I think they got like a, a few little missions, but it was basically an improvement on Renegade. It was just, like, you could see how they, like, they got to a point with Red Alert 2 and Renegade where they're like, we don't know where to go from here. And that was fair, because I, I think with the, the where they were there, and they had Emperor Balfour Doom, which was in their, their 3D engine, their Westwood 3D engine, which was pretty amazing, that then became Sage and Sage 2.0. That game was big and complex, and it was like they just—they were just getting bought out by EA. If they were, they'd just been bought out by EA, and EA was like, "Well, let's let's consolidate and let's try things." And then they had Renegade, which didn't really sell that well after Red Alert uh, Two and Years Revenge, which were amazing games. And then they they said, "Let's drop the series. Let's drop the two big series, the Tiberian and the Red Alert series, and let's make a new one. Let's make." One that's more applicable to today, a three-sided game. Yeah, three sides, that's actually pretty good, considering that most of your games have only been two-sided. Sure, three sides. Uh, Which ones? Um, We'll take America, China, and a analog for Al-Qaeda slash the Middle East terrorist group. Okay, GLA, yeah. All right, that's cool. You you lost the FMV cutscenes, but... Sure. I think you brought them. You've sort of brought them back in it zero hour, but they were fun. And then there was a huge mod scene for both for generals in zero hour that kept it going, and they're still going. You see, Command and Conquer Generals Shockwave and and Project Raptor and Contra, which is still going on. Rise of the Reds, which is now uh, done by the Shockwave guys, and then you got End of Days and. And you had the uh, Battletech one, the Chappellan uh, solution, which sadly died. It was amazing. It was like, I, that reinvigorated my interest in Battletech and the MechWarrior universe. And you had some amazing mods that also helped play the... Um, and changed the single-player game, too. And those were fun games. And, you know, they were, they're they They're done. And they extended the life of them, and then you've got you've had the similar thing in uh, 
Star Wars uh, Force of Corruption. How the mods for that game has kept that going. Now, there are better Star Wars, like, games involving Star Wars mods that are better than that. And I know there is, uh, I think it's like Sin the latest Sins of the Solar Empire game. Apparently, if you, there's a uh, Star Wars mod on that, which is supposed to be amazing. Uh, I don't know if that's true, but I've heard rumors that that's true. And we also had some amazing games come back. I never speak about my experience. The fact that I knew people who played Homeworld and I never played Homeworld until it was remastered. That was an amazingly interesting game for its time. When I think to when Homeworld, the original, came out. Which, let me see when the original Homeworld came out. I don't even know. Because that's... Because uh, uh, the original Homeworld game... The original release of that was 1999. And when I played the remaster of it in 2000 and, uh, and 15, which I bought on Steam because I was like, wow, I have to play this. It's amazing that they had that three-dimensional battle space, that real-time 3D strategy game like that. I to be honest, it's, uh, I consider it more of a tactics game because you 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 even though you can build a base, you've got limit, you've got resource stuff. It's it's closer to I guess World of Conflict in my style. Granted, World of Con Conflict is way many years after the fact, and it actually, is the same team. It's the Sierra Studio, so that's why I can see their experience. But that was an amazing game. I couldn't believe. I couldn't believe it was just the the way it was. I couldn't believe I missed Homeworld. But maybe it was because I didn't have a power of a computer back then. I know the remastered one is just, it's an amazing to play, and it's amazing that the original exists. I mean, I could only dream that somebody... Uh, well, we, we have a guy who did that in Command & Conquer uh, Generals re... Uh, Redid the, redid Command and Conquer uh, Tiberian Tiberian Dawn Command and Conquer ninety five, with missions and brought the cutscenes over, which is cool. And then we also have somebody uh, who did that. Uh, you know, they're they're trying to do that for various games, like try to retell the story. Jeez, uh, there's another game I was playing. Oh yeah, I, I played Simpsons Hit and Run. Thanks to the Game Grumps, just finding an episode of the Game Grumps where they played that uh, made me die laughing. I'm like, I have to play Simpsons Hit and Run, and I'm like, I don't want to pay $60 to get it on my GameCube or my Xbox. Oh, apparently it's an abandonware game now because of uh, the makers of it, Free Radical, are gone. They got bought out by... Uh, just let me make sure I'm correct on this, uh, and then I'm going to stop. I'm uh, just trying to make sure these are the same guys I'm thinking of. That these were the guys who then became, uh, who were got up, got bought out by uh, Crytek. Because I think. I think it was. Uh, no, 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 no. Uh, it's not them. Because it's, you know, it's a Grand Theft Auto clone in the Simpsons uh, world. Okay. And it's just, it's it was funny. Um, oh, it was made for, by uh, Radical Entertainment. Are these guys still around? Okay. Okay, so they're owned by, oh yeah, Radicals. Uh, they're the ones who made Prototype, and they contributed on Destiny. Uh, are they still? Oh yeah, they're, they got... Uh, yeah, the studio is practically a, like a shadow studio that's owned by uh, by Activision. That explains it. Mm. Hmm. That's interesting. I thought it, it was um, Radical Entertainment, not Free Radical. It's not uh, Free Radical, which is the Time Splitters series. 
which is another game from my past I wish that came back. <sighs> Mainly uh, of the desire of the idea of the couch co-op on console, or the couch fighting game on console. It seems like Nintendo is the only real one who's considering, like, hey, we're going to make a game, a first-party or second-party game for our system, and a third-party game. I guess, like, times would be a third-party game by most stretches, because it wasn't exclusive to your console, and you just basically pub and it was published by a, a you know bigger publisher. But the idea of hey, you can set up this game. You've got ten bots. You, you two of the, you and one of your friends can play against, or we can bring it down to six box, six bots, but four of your friends can play against it. Like I said, maybe it's uh, maybe it's ten on four player. I've never actually done it four player in a while. But it was just like the idea of a four person split screen shooting game. That kind of ended after Call of like, I'm not going to say Call of Duty really ended it. But when the internet got so good and the consoles were all connected to it, it kind of made it sort of a moot point. And I, and I can understand from the games and the console makers, it's actually not a good thing that people would buy. that Because besides from buying four controllers, you weren't selling four systems. You didn't weren't selling four online subscriptions. You weren't selling four copies of the game. You were selling one copy of the game, no online content, and four controllers. And those controllers are sometimes back, specifically back in the day, they were about the same price as the game. So you sold four controllers, which was equivalent to about four games. Except you, well, actually, you were selling three controllers because most systems already came with one. So you weren't actually making a lot of money. Now, when you convinced it to go into, like, the Call of Duty where it was, like, online was the big thing, and you had to progress and stuff like that, that changed because now you were having people buying their console, buying their online subscription, if they're not on PC, buying the game. It's pretty compelling. And they were playing for a while. And they'd want to buy the next one because they, they want to keep that level of interaction and and it was you know there's an addicting component to that and you can see why the games companies are doing that and of course i'm talking about this because i haven't seen anything else from e3 yet and it won't be until tomorrow and monday and i'll give a final report either monday night or tuesday and then i'll post it either tuesday night or wednesday morning um but it's just like you can see the addiction content of that and why people play video games so much and why there was an addiction to it and why I play video games a lot. Although I play video games largely for the solitary purpose. I don't want to play online with people. I used to play on Battlefield for a long time. Like It wasn't addicting. To, it was fun to play matches. I don't know if the Battlefield 4 community is the same way it was since then. I mean, you had Battlefield Hardline, which didn't do that great. And then you had Battlefield 1 and... Battlefront and Battlefront 2, which is sort of grabbing from that crowd. I don't know if it's if it, if it's there. I would love to go back on a Battlefield 4 and play the same maps again and unlock some more weapons and some more unlocks, but it's not really worth it anymore. And soon, I don't even know if the Battlefield 3 uh, maps are doing going anywhere. Like, I played some Battlefield 3. I remember, like, the main reason I played Battlefield 3 was because my friend Simon, who I hopefully will have on here, he's a good website developer and good stuff like that, and actually helped me make my original website, which is still going. I haven't updated in a while. I should. Uh, once I start doing some more streaming and more live stuff, I'll probably do that. But like, he's the reason I played Battlefield 3 online, and I was playing from a house that had a crappy internet connection, but it worked. And then when I moved into Calgary again and bought my own internet and had a great connection, it's like, I'll play this some more. And then I had a bad experience on one map, and I'm like, this guy was following me between two servers. I wouldn't say harass. Like, he was targeting me, but I don't wouldn't consider it a harassment. Like, I'm not on the game anymore. So if his goal was to get me off the game, he succeeded. But it's more like I was just tired of him. I wasn't mad at him. I wasn't angry. It's just like, oh, gosh. And I wasn't even engaging with him. The chat was like, oh, look at me. I'm killing this dude, blah, 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 have you. And I'm like, I just saw that in the chat. I'm like, okay, well, I'm done. 
I don't want to play a game with this person playing it. I could, probably could have gone to my favorite server and not dealt with that issue, but I think it was just like I was just tired. I played that game for I was playing for about two hours, and it was just I don't know. I think I just hit the progression wall where anything I want to do now is just too hard to get to. That's just me. And I never had that issue with Command & Conquer. I've never had that issue with Grand Theft Auto. I haven't had that issue with, uh, you know. It's like, I games wax and wane. Like, some, you go back to it, some of you don't, some of you do, some of you don't. It's like, when I got Hyrule Warriors Defensive Edition, it's like, I haven't played it in a little while. I gotta get back to it. But at the same time, I, I'm waiting for a few games to come out. But the way I'm waiting for them is, like, I'm not buying a game every single week. I've got a wish list on Steam that's pretty long. But some of those games, it's like, I, do I want to play them or not? I don't know if I could dedicate the time to them. I actually want to dedicate to them. And maybe it's just the fact that I'm getting older and I'm less wanting to do that. Maybe it's I want an easier experience. Maybe it's because some of the newer games I'm able to buy that I'm able to take at time are shorter than these long ones. and Or maybe they're not hooking me as well. Maybe the story's too free-flow. I don't know. But I do have some old games I bought from my GameCube I gotta play, and I got some old games from my uh, Xbox I gotta play. I gotta finish Shenmue on the Dreamcast, and I'm probably gonna play Shenmue 1 and 2 remastered or re-released on the uh, PC, and I want to play Shenmue 3, and I want to play Ace Combat 7, and I don't know what else. I want to play the Metroid 4 when that comes out. I want to play Bayonetta 3 when that comes out. It's like, you know, there's all these cool games I want to play. I just... You just get to a point where you're like, I don't know if I want to... It's like... Uh, what's the phrase? It sort of starts becoming a job. And when it's not paying and you live alone and you got to get your own food and stuff like that, you start getting lazy at it. And you start looking for more methods of excitement. And it's also when you get older, you want like, you know, you do want more human interaction, especially when you were young like me. And most of the day was like playing tag outside and climbing in the woods and video gaming was only one part of hanging out with your friends. And now it's kind of like. We can only hang for two hours, so we either board game or video game. It's like you don't you don't go on these long adventures anymore, and you can you, you can't because you just don't have the time. And it's not because you don't want to have the time. It's just everything else around you is making sure that you can't have it. And I'm not saying that it's because your family, you're distracted, you need to make money. It's more like you've lined yourself up because you think if. There's too much peace in your life. It feels like you're failing. And maybe that's the point. Like This whole point of my podcast when I'm doing this is to make me slow down. Think about things. Relax. And my goal is to do some more stuff and talk about video games and stuff in the future. And, you know, use move my little soundboard over to the other side of the room. Uh, to my other side of the basement where my v- big video game station is, uh, Media Center, uh, get my little mic stand that will hold uh, this mic and put this thing down here and have my laptop and have my games going. And I don't know if I would be able to... Uh, I'd probably have to do quarter-inch to XLR to bring the sound into here so I could hear it but not record it. I have to figure out how to do that. But who knows? Anyway, I've been going on for a bit. That's about an hour and five minutes I'm almost at. A little rambling. It's amazing I can ramble when I don't intend to. I tend to this to be a 20-minute episode, and here I am. Uh, it's just its amazing what you can do when you have almost nothing to talk about, and next thing you know, you have something to talk about. <laughs> I really got to get my friend Alex on here. He'll be, he'll be a good guy to talk to, and I got a few other prospects the main reason i haven't been pushing to get people on here is because i think it it's impolite to force people and i'm also not the best at asking for stuff 
It's just it's just something I have to work on. And I think the conversations I have with stories from the crisper drawer. I speaking of which, I need to get some actual art for this. Besides from the one I got, I, I want to get another piece of uh, art. But yeah, it's yeah. There's there's work to be done. So yeah, this is obviously um, episode eleven. Stories from the Crisper Drawer. Uh, gosh, it was uh, Saturday Caesar Salads, and I'm gonna have an E3 update either Monday night or Tuesday, and either have it up Tuesday or Wednesday. Maybe I'll put it on Monday night if I'm able to get it all done and just dedicate my time to it and actually get a good write up. Probably do that, and we're gonna have a games. Me and my buddies are gonna have a games night coming up soon hopefully and because of how funny shadow rift is and how funny uh um uh playing flux was i'll probably record that too with my h6 just because i think the h6 is better at handling that i could do it with the h1 as well but my h1 is a little small and i'd rather use this pocket recorder which i should use more often Anyway, this is Josh signing off. Uh, thank you for listening, and uh, have yourself a wonderful weekend, and wonderful week, and wonderful year, and may everything... <laughs> I'm not going to say everything's going to work perfectly in your favor, but may things go well, and just learn from it. Sometimes mistakes are worth making, because they teach us things. Sometimes they're definitely not. Like, uh, you know, as an example, having a shotgun shell not ignite... It's not a very good idea to decide to uh, look down the barrel. I mean, there are Darwin Awards for a reason. And you know, I don't want people dying that way. <laughs> That's a terrible way to go. All right. All right. Uh, this is me signing off, and hopefully that's actually a sign-off this time. Okay? I am done. Bye.